Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That was not Daniel. Daniel never saw his role in life to be insulated and isolated, and neither should we. We should never see our role in life to be insulated and isolated from the lost. Because Daniel saw these Babylonians on their way to hell, and Daniel said, no, I will not stand by and watch these people be cast into hell. I will tell them about the God who loves them and made provision for them to be saved from their sins. So Daniel knew that God loved them. God so loved the people of the east And Daniel wanted them to know God and have eternal life. He wanted them to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which is what the Lord said. Many people from far are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Daniel really, in this regard, takes his place uh, uh, with Joseph. Because this is the heart of Joseph. Joseph also was, uh, was a slave. But Joseph didn't cry, woe is me, about why he was in Egypt instead of being back with his family in Canaan. I mean, he did more for the Egyptians than just save them from perishing for lack of food. He made sure they didn't perish for eternity for lack of not knowing God. So, So when we look at Daniel, we can see that Daniel's life was an expectation builder. And he built into this magi, the people around him, the expectation, the Messiah is coming, the King of the Jews is coming, he's gonna save you from your sins. And we should see ourselves that way. We should see ourselves, when we present the gospel, when we speak to the lost, we should be an expectation builder. We should be building those pieces. You really can be, be, be cleansed from that bad feelings you have of guilt and shame. You really can go to heaven. You really can know God. So uh, now the Magi here are, are, are typically characterized as three kings, because after all, what would the song be like if you didn't say, we three kings of Orient are? <laughs> well, there's obviously more than one. But we don't know how many there were, but they were, clearly they were wealthy. And you know, they made this trip. They had the gifts, expensive gifts. And they really produced quite a sensation in, in the city of Jerusalem when they came with their question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The Jews were not concerned about the king of the Jews. They were concerned about these magi coming asking, oh, where's the king of the Jews? Now, the star, they see the star. They see the star that says the star, we have seen his star in the east. So the star led them to Bethlehem. And, and as they came to Bethlehem, they came to Jerusalem. Now, can't you just picture them there? Here they are, they're traveling into the country of the Jewish people. Oh, king of the Jews, here's the Jews, oh, okay. 
So, and as they're being led by the star to Bethlehem, and they come to Jerusalem, they see, oh, this is the capital of the Jewish people. This is the city of the king of the Jews right here. So they thought, great, here's the city. Here's the city of the king of the Jews. We're going to find the king of the Jews here, obviously. So they're going around saying, which building is he in? <laughs> and, and they're thinking to themselves, there's got to be a huge line to see the newborn king of the Jews. I hope we can get in line and you can see him. That's what the Magi were thinking. And obviously, they were thinking, you know, as would all the world think, that the Jews would be gathered around their newborn king of the Jews. This is what they were expecting. You know, it reminds me of the time when, when my friends, uh, Mary Louise uh, and, and Bruce Cohen, had adopted a 12-year-old Ethiopian boy, I've told you about him, named Tineskin. And they brought him from Addis Ababa to Washington, D.C. He didn't speak any English at all. And as Tineskin learned to speak, because I don't speak Amharic, I don't speak Guragian, which is the other language he had, I don't speak any other. Anyway, but so, so Tineskin learned to speak English. And as he did, we became friends and in that process, I learned, oh, Temeskin is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and told me how he came to the Lord. And Temeskin knew his Bible. And he knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was Jewish. So I decided, okay, I got to sit down and have a talk with my friend Temeskin. All right, so we go in the backyard by the pool there. Very expensive house. Anyway, in, in Washington, D.C. And so I sit down with Temeskin alone there in, in Cohen's house. And I said, Temeskin, I said, Temeskin, you must understand that you have come to live in a Jewish home. And I have to tell you something about the Jewish people, that the Jewish people do not believe in, in Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I told him that, you know, that was my talk. And then I remember how Temeskin frowned, and he looked puzzled, and then he looked at me, he had these really, really nice big eyes. He looked at me and he said, why not? <laughs> That's all I said. Why not? <laughs> well, the question broke my heart. And, and I looked back at him and I said, I don't know. <laughs> that was my answer. I don't know. But Tomaskin's question of why not, it said so much. Because what he was saying was that, look, uh, he wasn't even really from Addis Ababa. He was from an animus village about a couple hours away. And, and he, he was really saying, if I, as an Ethiopian, former animist, if I as an Ethiopian person so far from the Jewish people, he was an Ethiopian Jew, so far from the Jewish people, have come to believe in the king of the Jews, I don't understand why the Jewish people do not believe in the king of the Jews. That was the question that the Magi had who had come to worship the king of the Jews. It was Temeskin's question. I mean, they, they, were, they, they, in essence, were saying, if we, as people of the East, so far from the Jewish people, have come to worship the king of the Jews, we don't understand why the Jews are not worshiping the king of the Jews. So when the Magi come to Jerusalem, the first shocking truth, and it was a shocking truth for them, that confronted them was that, the king of the Jews is not found in the city of the king of the Jews. He's not there in Jerusalem. And then the second shocking truth that confronted the Magi was that all of Jerusalem was not going to where the king of the Jews was, about five, six miles away in Bethlehem. So like Temeskin, 
these magi looked at themselves and they said, we're not Jewish, but with all of our desire, we've come to the king of the Jews. See, and, and in that scene there, in that little captured snapshot there, the magi represent all the nations or the goyim, the goyim, or the goy of the world. And this is the wonderful title that the Lord Jesus has from Haggai 2.7. Haggai 2.7, where it says, God says, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So this wonderful title that the Lord Jesus has is he is the desire of all nations. And we can, and so if we ask, the, you know, we can imagine the Magi, they're asking this question, why is the king of the Jews not so important? to the Jews. Why is the king of the Jews not famous among the Jews? Why is the king of the Jews, why does the king of the Jews have no reputation among the Jews? These are questions. Now the answers to these questions are in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, several verses, Philippians 2.7, which says that the Lord Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a certain ser- servant who was made in the likeness of men. Why does he have no reputation among the Jews? It's because he made himself of no reputation. He could have, could have been born in Jerusalem, could have had a lot of heralding angels. No. And then John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then the verse before it, John 1.10, John 1.10, he was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So there we have these knots. The, the world knew him not, the Jews who knew him received him not. And that's how the world is described, as they knew him not. And that's how the Jews were described, as, as they received him not. And there's a relationship between those two, those two groups of the Jews who received him not, and the world that knew him not. The world knew him not because the Jews received him not. If the Jews had received him, they would have done their job of making the world know him. And you can see in the Magi, who represent the world, that there was one Jew who did receive him as Jehovah Jesus, and his name of that Jew was Daniel, And because of that one Jew, that little world of Magi knew him. And they came to worship him as the king of the Jews. So this then opens up for us the strategy of Satan. There's no people on the earth that are a higher priority for Satan to keep in unbelief than the Jewish people. Because Satan knows that God has designed for his Jewish people to bring the knowledge of God to the world. So if Satan can keep the Jewish people from receiving the Lord Jesus, then Satan can keep the world in this state of they knew him not. Now, the Magi are are going all around Jerusalem with their question in verse two, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen a star in the east, or really the way it is literally, we have seen when it first rose in the east and are come to worship him. And we can imagine the Magi asking the Jewish people, where do you find the, the newborn king of the Jews? And we can imagine the Jewish people saying, I don't know, ask the rabbis. 
<laughs> they know. How many times have I heard that? How many, you know, I speak to a Jewish person about the Lord Jesus. I'll, I'll ask my rabbi. I'll ask my rabbi. You know, but that question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? It sets up such contrasts. Such contrast. There is the contrast of the, of, uh, uh, of the king of the Jews being so well known and yet so concealed. See, to those magi, those seeking Gentiles, the king of the Jews was so well known. But to, to the Jewish leaders they were asking, the king of the Jews was so concealed. And, and the, the question, where is he this born king of the Jews, when it finally gets around to Herod, it's going to cause Herod to massacre a huge number of children. So that question of where is he that's born king of the Jews, it shows the contrast of hate and fear and love and worship. To Herod, the king of the Jews was hated and feared. But to the Magi, the king of the Jews was loved and worshipped. Now, the wise men, they finally get to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. They got to him because he got to them before. And he sent them the star to guide them. So again, th- this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? It shows this contrast between having so little and gaining so much and the contrast of having so much and losing so much more. So the Magi, they had so little. I mean, you know, they had a, what did they have? A star. They had a star to guide them. But they gained so much more when they came to Christ because they gained the star that gave the light that's, its light in the sun. They gave the sun. They gave the star its light. And so the Magi, which had so little, they gained so much more. On the other hand, the scribes had so much. They had the scriptures, but they didn't have the star. And so they lost the Christ. So the Magi, with the star and not the scriptures, they obtain the scriptures when they come to the heart of the scriptures, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Whereas the scribes, with the scriptures, without the star, they lose the heart of the scriptures. So, they have the star, they're following the star, and, and as, their star, as they're following it, you can see in them the evidence of faith. They're, they're, they're following the star, they're not questioning, they're going on in faith. And they ask the question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? They are 100% sure that the king of the Jews is born. They're not asking. They're not coming there. They're so sure. They're so so full of faith and belief because God has revealed it to them that they're not coming into the city and saying, is the king of the Jews born? Uh, Have you heard? Is he born? No, there's no doubt. And we can imagine the Magi going door to door in Jerusalem asking this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Now that scene for me reminds me of summer blitzers that go door to door among the Jewish people. The summer blitzers are like the Magi. And they're asking another question, are you interested in, 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 in the king of the Jews? And, and to the Jewish people, it was obvious that, that the Magi were going to find the king of the Jews. And what's always amazing to me is that as the Magi become famous in Jerusalem as the ones who were determined to find the king of the Jews and were convinced that the the king of the Jews had been born, 
What's amazing to me is we don't read of any Jews saying, I'm going with those Magi because <laughs> I want to find the king of the Jews. I mean, the Jews just, they, they let the Magi go find the king of the Jews and later there would be this sad cry heard in the city of Jerusalem in John 19.15, John 19.15, where they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. That's sad. That's sad. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know, some churches are so focused on everything but the Lord Jesus that, you, you, that when you go there, you feel like they, the magi, and you say, well, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? All right, so they say, we saw the, the, the star in the east in verse 2, and it's so precious that they're talking about a star that rose in the east, and it guided them for a long, long way. I mean, imagine all those miles that they're walking in the desert. They're guided by the star, and they're never sitting there wondering, what if the star goes away? What if it abandons us, abandons us here in the desert? I mean, the star every day is leading them, guiding them, is, is kind of like the manna in the desert. Because every day for 40 years, the manna fell. And, and it would have been foolish for someone to sit there, well, what are you doing? I'm worried. What are you worried about? The manna may not come tomorrow. <laughs> no, it didn't. They didn't worry about that. They worry about something else that's significant. That's not significant. And it's precious to consider this along with the other unusual ways that God takes care of his people. Here, it's a star that guides. In the case of, of the prophet, it was a raven that brought him food every day. In the case of the people, it was a cloud that gave them shade every day and a pillar of fire that gave them warmth. So this is the star. This is the star. Now, the, the prophecy that Balaam said was in Numbers 24.17, Numbers 24.17, where he said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, destroy the children of Heth. So it says there, there shall arise a star. Now, when it says out of the east, it's emphasizing to us how great lengths God goes to bring those who search him to himself. You know, in, in Takati, built a staircase, the staircase is there, and and there, there's a verse in the middle of the staircase, which is Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So th- this is the verse that's there. We got it situated in such a way that when you stand in a certain place down at the bottom of the staircase and you look up, you only see that one part of the verse where it says, For unto us a child is born. And, and I tell people that, you know, look, uh, nobody doubts that Jesus of Nazareth was born 2,000 years ago. That's earthly understanding. That's what you get from earthly. You walk up the stairs, and then we have this cupola with this light that shines out of it and a star in there. And then you, you and I point out, now you can read the rest, which says that not only was he a child that was born, but he was a son that was given. He was the mighty God. He's going to be called, actually called the everlasting father and so forth. And so the explanation is that in the light of God's revelation, you learn about who he is in the light of God's revelation. Kind of like the star, the star that, that guides them. Now, you think about all of the stumbling blocks that were put in the way, that were in the way 
that, that discouraged these magi. I mean, you know, uh, um, they're looking for the newborn king of the Jews. Of course, he should be in the city of the king of the Jews. He's not. That's a stumbling block for them. He's not in Jerusalem. You know, instead, they, they, they find on the throne of the king of the Jews this, this, uh, this tyrannical uh, uh, person, Herod. That's discouraging for them. And then they go to the representatives of the sanctuary of God in the, in the city, in the, in the, they're in, they're in the, they're in the city. And, and they find that they don't care. They're indifferent. I mean, they, they said, you know, they're thinking to themselves, we're gonna, we're gonna go to the holy land. We're gonna go to the holy city. And they find it's not holy, this land. It's not holy, this city. You know? And then, then they're directed to go down to a poor, insignificant village of Bethlehem. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's a stumbling block for them. And then they're directed to a stable. And that's the stumbling block. And to a manger, anyway. And they find the child that is surrounded by extreme poverty. And, and for all intents and purposes, a homeless couple, the head of which is a, is a carpenter. And all of these stumbling blocks, they had to press through to find the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. So that shows us the perseverance you know, the Magi, for the Magi, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, he must have seemed so remote, so hidden, so disowned. I mean, he's in an unknown village. He's in a, uh, hidden in an animal stable. He's disowned by indifference by his own people. But the star, the star kept leading and guiding them. And the star, as a, kind of looking at it there, the star over the Magi was kind of like the spirit of God. In, Genesis, in the second verse of Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, 2. Kind of like the Spirit of God, where it says, the earth was without void, without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered, or moved, it says moved, upon the face of the waters. Actually, it is the word hovers, rachefet. Rachefet is, the, is, is a term for like a bird that flutters over her young, just broods over it with great concern. And so here they are, and, and all these, these discouragements have come, and the stars hovering, brooding over them, saying, move on, keep moving, keep moving, and brings them through. It's a wonderful picture of how the Lord leads us and through the discouragements of our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these magi and their heart to want to uh, wanna find you and how you brooded over them and led them until they did find you. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, just to meditate on, uh, on these verses this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. 
You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. 